Let's pray together. We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you give us this time of year to reflect on the fact we're waiting for Jesus. And that is our great hope, wonderful hope in this time of darkness. And we pray today you would help us understand that hope and so live well in the time that we're waiting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may not have been expecting to see me there. And that's because uh, today we're looking at a slightly tricky passage in the book of Daniel. And I'm going to talk a bit first before we uh, read the passage. And then we'll have it read. And then we will... Talk, I'll talk a bit more after. So that's why it's me. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Morris. I'm one of the leaders here at Christchurch. I'll be helping us look through this bit of the book of Daniel today. Now, this time of year, you can see the studio's changed this week because we are approaching Christmas. And traditionally, this time of year, while we're waiting for Christmas, is the time when Christians think about waiting generally not just waiting for the end of school or waiting for the turkey to defrost, but thinking about the fact that we as Christians are always waiters. Being a Christian is waiting. And the darkness before the light of Christmas, the darkness of winter before the joy of Christmas, is a time to remember that we are always waiting in the darkness for the light of Jesus returning. And while we wait, we need to reflect on the fact that this world is dark and difficult and full of evil. That the world before Jesus comes back is full of people who rule, making bad decisions. It's full of illness, it's full of fear, it's full of anger. Advent, we call it. And it's about staring into the darkness, knowing the light is coming. Because we are actively waiting for Jesus to return. And that's, so we use this time of year to remind us to, to enter into a lifetime of waiting for Jesus to make all things new. And so perhaps we need Advent this year more than any year, because we are all waiting for things to change. One Christian writer says, a Christian lives a stretched life. So a Christian lives a life that is very aware of the darkness and difficulty of this world. We don't close our eyes to that, but also knows there is hope and light coming. And Christians live stretched out, knowing evil and knowing there is hope. Now we're used to thinking of waiting as a passive thing, you know. <sighs> Waiting. I love the Christmas carol uh, that says at the last verse, all in white, we'll wait around. It gives a picture of, uh, of Christians in heaven sort of being like, oh, is, is Jesus coming around yet? But that's not the waiting the Bible describes. The waiting the Bible describes is much more like the waiting of a, of a rebel army knowing that liberation is coming. So they continue to fight against the occupying force because they know victory is on the way. And Daniel has come to us as a great example of a waiter. He was transplanted into an extremely dark, alien environment to him. A very dark environment, a 
type of place where people are burned alive for not worshipping a human ruler, where people are fed to lions because of their beliefs. Daniel was transplanted into that dark place with only the promise of a future hope to keep him going. And Daniel walked the path of wisdom. When we say wise, sometimes we mean sensible, when sensible usually means sort of timid or not really rocking the boat. Wisdom in Daniel, and he is the, the picture of wisdom, is knowing that God is much more real than the people you can see in front of you and living that way. And so Daniel's wisdom has involved speaking truth to powerful people, putting his own life at risk, but also working hard and honouring and bringing blessing to the darkness. That's how he waited. All he had was the promise that one day God would take his people home. And while he was waiting, he had to look straight into the darkness, live with God as God and bring the blessing that he could. And that's the type of waiting Christians need to do. We know the occupying power of this world, sin and death and the devil, is on its way out because Jesus has lived and died and come back to life. And so we wait in a way that reflects the new ruler is coming. And so we've been thinking about how we can wait like Daniel. In our mad world, how do we live with wisdom, not timidity or sensibleness, but true wisdom which wants God to be lifted up and preparing for his promise to be fulfilled? And Daniel chapters 10 to 12 is a vision of the future, a future beyond Daniel's own life. And last week we saw Daniel experience the touch of God to strengthen him for waiting. And we seek and find that in Jesus. And now in chapter 11, the vision opens up in which he stares right into the darkness of the world. Remember last week, seeing this vision made him so scared that he fainted. He knew the world was dark and he knew that God was coming and that's how he lived with wisdom. So chapter 11 is Daniel doing Advent, sitting in the darkness, knowing the light is coming. So let's have a look at this vision of the future that Daniel saw. He is standing, verse 1 tells us, on what he thinks is the break of dawn. Cyrus is the king of Persia and he's the one that God has promised will send Daniel back to his homeland. Let him rebuild the temple to worship God in. Feels like a very dark time, but help is on the way. Maybe like seeing on the news the first people injected with a miraculous vaccine. And as Daniel stands on that brink of that dawn, here's the vision he sees. First he sees that there will be three kings of Persia. Cyrus, who he had his hope in, won't even be the wealthiest. No, the future will bring three kings in succession. Saying to Daniel, the one your hope is in, he's not even the greatest of his type. Then he will see that Persia has a confrontation with Greece, a great king called Alexander the Great, who defeats everybody. But his kingdom is broken up. Eventually that settles into two kingdoms, the kings of the north and the south. So the Greek kingdom itself looked like it couldn't be beaten, but the kings of the north and the south, who are Egypt and Syria, will emerge. And Israel, as always in the Middle East, is caught in the middle geographically. And it tells a story about how some of the Jewish people cooperate and some fight. 
and the kings of the north and the south have a series of alliances trying to get uh, a sort of strength over each other. Eventually they're defeated, probably by Rome, and Daniel sees a vision of a terrible king, Antiochus Epiphanes. He's called a contemptible person, and he will, without mercy, sweep through the region. He is bent on evil. He will attack God's people. And then, horrifically to Daniel, remember, standing, hoping the dawn is coming, he discovers that Antiochus is going to destroy the temple again and set up an image of himself to be worshipped in that most holy of places. Finally, he sees in his vision the king who does as he pleases. The focus moves beyond Antiochus Epiphanes to a terrible king who's worse than anyone, who exalts himself to be better than God, who worships war and attacks everyone, expects them to honour him, who hates God people, and yet even he will come to an end and no one will help him. Daniel fainted when he saw this. Well, no wonder, because he's being forced to stare into a dark future ahead. This nearly over-friendly king, that's not going to last long. The much-cherished temple will be rebuilt but destroyed again. And Daniel's own people are either going to be crushed or they're going to compromise. He's just waiting, staring into the dark. That's the first thing I want to say to us to learn from this passage today. We need to stare into the void. Okay, so there are rulers or situations that it is better to be a Christian and worse to be a Christian. It is much worse to be a Christian in North Korea than it is to be in France. It's much worse to be a Christian in Morocco than it is to be in South Africa. But here is the truth that Daniel needs to learn. All empires are serving their own power and they all fade. And our lives, our lives as insignificant individuals, are all played out against the background of people with power grappling and jostling with each other for their place in the world. And we will get caught in the crossfire of that. Even the things that we think are good, like Daniel's temple, will get crushed in this battle for power, toppled in another meaningless war. And what God is teaching Daniel is this. Without God, without Christ, without him stepping into the world to bring light and put us right with God, without God changing us from the inside and building a new creation, if you put him out of the picture, this is what you get. A series of cruel leaders fighting for their own power and damaging everything that matters to us on the way. Without God... That's all there is. But maybe you think, well, people that I know seem nicer than that. Doesn't seem like life is just all about that. But it is worth saying that Daniel saw all of this happening before, and between him and us, it did all happen. And in fact, the cycle that Daniel saw of bad kings fighting with each other and getting worse until a really terrible person emerges who just wants to exalt themselves, that's happened loads of times in history between us and him. Europe in the 20th, 20th century was a model of that. And Daniel is being forced to stare into the dark so he knows how to wait. 
I've been reading a book at the moment with someone in church, uh, this book called Dominion by Tom Holland. He's not a Christian. And unlike most of us, I guess, he knows lots about the history of this period, ancient history. And he basically tells the story of how he was brought up in church and he got bored of Christianity as a child and got really into the Assyrians and the Romans and the Greeks. And then he realised as he walked through his life that everything he thought that mattered in the world came from Christianity, not from these peoples he liked so much more. So protecting children and looking after them, that was not an important thing in the ancient world that Daniel lived in. The fact that's accepted as an important thing in society now is to do with the spread of Christianity. Or elevating women so they have a voice that's equal to men's voice. That was not a significant thing in the ancient world at all. It was a heretical idea. That's a Christian instinct that says people are equal. Or caring for the poor and the weak and disabled. Those were not important things at all in the ancient world. In fact, that was seen as weakness to care for those people. The fact that we think that's important is because of Christian theology in 2,000 years of it in the world. And Tom Holland can see that, and he's not even a Christian. And we look over Daniel's shoulder at his vision of the world before Christ coming at Advent to help us stare into a world where there's no Jesus intervening. That will make us wait well, where God lets people fight for their own power and influence, where lives are crushed and normal people like us are just pillaged and harmed and killed, faceless thousands covered in the story of these wars. That's the world without God becoming human and setting the course of history towards the importance of the weak. Some people watching this will have stared into that void themselves. You've lived in a world where people have done what they wanted to you for their own power or pleasure. And I want to say to you, that's wrong. But only the Christian influence world gives us the tools to stay, say it's wrong. It's not wrong to any of the people Daniel foresaw. I want to say more than that, that God knows that that's wrong about the world and he's calling you to something. Because we've seen Daniel was a victim of an exile to an unknown country and he gets this vision from God about the darkness of the world. Why? So as a waiter for God's promises, he can speak up. He can tell the truth about people rejecting God and abusing others. He can point even the most powerful people to the real God. If you're sure this world is a sellout of people who crush others from bitter experience, like Daniel, you've stared into the dark. God's got a job for you. Speak truth to the people doing that. Advent's a sort of forgotten festival, to be honest. We might have Advent calendars, but we don't do the Christian tradition of Advent, dwelling on the darkness of the world, because we don't want to face up to the darkness. Because we've lived under Christian influence for so long, the world often doesn't seem that dark to us. Perhaps the last eight months give us a small insight of the reality. A world disrupted that turns out to be worse than we thought. 
and the dawn coming in Jesus being born. Apart from that dawn of Jesus bringing the world to right, all the other dawns are false dawns. Cyrus was a false dawn. Our only hope is God acting through Jesus. We need to know that if we're going to wait well, and we only learn that if we stare into the void. Daniel shows us life as it is before God intervened by becoming human. Somewhere now, you need to act differently than the people around you. I don't know where it is. You need to speak up for some, over some injustice. You need to share the message about Jesus to give hope. You need to behave in a way that is different to the world around you. Let me tell you this, you will not do it if you think this world is basically okay and this virus thing's just a hard time to get through before it will all be okay again. Why speak up? But the truth is, we'll get to the other side of this and discover the world is, without God, is bad in different ways. And so we don't say, let's put off doing what's right until I feel better. We say, there's real hope and I'm going to speak up now because the promises are coming. I know the world is lost all the time in the darkness without Jesus. Some of us know that from what we've experienced. Some of us need to do some staring into the void until, like Daniel, we feel sick. Until we say, I need God's help to walk through this dark world, then we'll gain wisdom. The true view of the world. That means we can speak and act for what is right. And if this all sounds like pie in the sky to you, because for you, your life so far has generally been okay without God, and so you think it will be all right, I want to say that's because here in the UK, we are sheltering under 2,000 years of Christian influence. But behind that, without God, there is no hope. It's Jesus who's made the world a safe place for you to live in. Well, we're going to have our actual reading from the Bible now. Just to give you a clue what's going on in this reading, it's describing Antiochus the, and the response of God's people to him. That's verses 29 to 35. And then the emergence of a terrible ruler who's the picture of all anti-God rulers. That's from verse 36 onwards. Now it's the time to pick up a Bible because if you don't follow along with this, I think you'll just think, what the heck is going on? It's pretty confusing. So pick up a Bible or switch it on your phone. Jules is going to read to us from Daniel... Chapter 11, 29 to 39. So you just find that. Daniel 11, 29 to 39. Our reading is from Daniel chapter 11, beginning at verse 29. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again. But this time, the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favour to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, 
he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified and made spotless until the time of the end. For it will still come at the appointed time. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the one desired by women. Nor will he regard any god but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honour a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his fathers. He will honour with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honour those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. Well, thanks, Jules, for that reading. There's two more things we're going to see from this passage today. Here's the first. Don't fold for a footnote. Don't fold for a footnote. I'll tell you what I mean by that. If we were all together, I'd say, who'd heard of Antiochus Epiphanes before we did this talk series? There might be one or two ancient history geeks. Generally, I suspect no one. Now, bear that in mind. The description of what Antiochus did near the end of his reign is terrible in this passage. The series of failed military campaigns means he turns his anger onto God's people in Jerusalem. That's the temple Daniel was hoping, when he hears this vision, will be rebuilt and last forever. And there are some wise people, not sensible, wise people, who know God is really in charge, and so they won't give in to Antiochus. They don't abandon God. But Antiochus, he shows favour to those who forsake God. He set up his own image in their temple and said, if you worship that, you'll be okay. But some who really know God will resist him. That's a familiar story to us from Daniel. But unlike in Daniel's story, there is no last minute reprieve. Those who are wise will tell the truth still, but they'll be persecuted and even killed. And still more, there'll be some who are, seem to be wise, but will stumble, will give in. Now, we can't imagine really, probably, actually, most of us can't imagine what it's like to live through something like this. There are people in our church family who have lived through the collapse of a society because of an evil dictator. But most of us have no idea. We can get a best clue from immersive movies like 1918 or Lord of the Rings. Some idea of the gore and pain and cruelty. We have some idea of how world-changing these were for the events of people who lived through them. 
like if we lived through Liverpool Cathedral being attacked and ripped to pieces and a statue of a person put up and us commanded to worship it on pain of death. We can see why, given going through that, some of them might have given up on their faith. It was so world-changing. Except for this. No one had heard of Antiochus. And when I had, if I could have asked you to put up your hands, there would have been a scattering of hands. There's someone, though, you have heard of if you're watching today, and that's Jesus. You're going to celebrate his birth in two years' time. Uh, two weeks' time. <laughs> you can do it in two years as well. You see, what Daniel is being shown here, that one of the worst, most powerful kings in history managed to get some of God's people to give up. But that was wrong, no matter how terrifying it was, because there is one greater kingdom that will go on forever. We know that because we still celebrate the real king. Antiochus was terrifying, but he came and went in 11 years. Jesus, the king born in a stable, entered into our world bringing this message that the weak matter and God cares for the poor, Daniel's been told his eternal kingdom will go on and on and on and on and on. And with hindsight, we know that's true because Antiochus means nothing to us. Did you know, in terms of statistics, more people will become followers of Jesus today than on any other day before today? That's how followers of Jesus are growing. And no one is following Antiochus today. And that's true. No matter how scary he was then, it was foolish for his God's people to fold and worship the idol he, he put up. Don't fold for someone who will be a footnote in history. Even as the swords were held to their throats, it was not truly wise to fold for fear of him. I don't know who or what situation is stopping you speaking up for what is right whether it's the workplace policy that says you can't talk about your faith, the injustice against someone you know about but you get in trouble for mentioning, the family member who laughs if you mention the gospel, the unpopular ethical issue the Bible teaches about that you don't want to talk about in front of your professional friends. Maybe for you it's more subtle, it's not a person, it's that society expects you to toe the line, to be successful, to be sensible, they call that wisdom, but it's not living for God and reflecting his rule. You don't reflect what matters to God because of pressure from parents or neighbours or just society. Daniel says to us, don't fold for things that will just be footnotes in history. If Antiochus Epiphanes is just a footnote in history, how much more your neighbours? You know, if Jesus hasn't returned in 2,000 more years, people will still be worshipping him. They will not be worshipping your career expectations. Don't fool for Antiochus. He's terrifying, will kill you. Don't fool for him, though, because he'll be gone in 11 years. And Daniel has to look at the scariest king in the world and see it's still wrong to fool for him when God's kingdom will last forever. When Jesus comes back, we won't be sorry for pinning our hope to him. Some of our church occasionally go on mission trips to Lebanon. And meeting the Christians in Lebanon, one person in church was telling me was like, it changed my life. 
because they do everything they can to help people and they serve Jesus and speak up and they do not care who tells them not to do it, whether it's the government or terrorists. They basically say there's only one kingdom that will last forever. It's not yours. Just to say as well, the passage notes there are people who stumble but are brought back. So maybe you think about this and you think, oh yeah, I have just been caving to people who don't matter about things that are important. There's plenty of way back. Learn from your mistakes. In fact, the passage says that will be part of God teaching you to be holy and separate and be able to serve him. There's a great Christian called Augustine and when he became a Christian, he said to God, do make me holy, but not yet. He then went on to become one of the great fathers of the church. And I think what we learn from that is God draws lots of straight lines with crooked sticks. You haven't messed it up for good by not sticking up for what's right once. Stumblers can return and God will use your stumbling, the things you've got wrong, to make things right and better in future. So don't fold for a footnote in history. Well now, the focus moves out from Antiochus to a king who does whatever he wills. So a king who's even worse than Antiochus. This king is terrible. He has an obsession with magnifying, magnifying himself. He speaks astonishing lies about the real God. He takes on the whole world. If he worships anything, he worships war. It's a feast of destruction. And he pitches his tents in the middle of the world, the most important place, and calls everyone to worship him. And did you know when we had it read, he will pour out honour on the people who recognise him. Who is this incredibly evil figure? Well, when you read the books about Daniel, the truth is no one knows. And I think that's the point. This is a pattern of history repeatedly where God is ignored, rulers get worse and worse and worse until eventually someone emerges who worships only himself, has no morals at all, and they destroy everything. And you would stand back and think, why didn't someone stop them behaving that way? But in fact, they gain power over other people, so they have a circle of people who do what they want because they want to be in with their power. Daniel's seen warnings of that, actually. He's seen the whole of Babylon blindly bow down towards a huge golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar, who, when you read about him, was not even exactly in his right mind. But he had power, and he gave honour to people who honoured him. That's a pattern for all of history. The history of the world is people jostling for position. And if that's the game... Eventually, someone in each generation emerges who's very good at the game and willing to do terrible things in order to get power. And others go along with it. Why? Because that person will reward people who honour them. If I can be political for just a moment, we are seeing at the moment, aren't we, someone willing to pull apart US democracy to hang on to their own power and lots of people who should know better going along with it. We shouldn't be surprised. We should be disappointed. 
that it's Christians who go along with it. Uh, you know, the Catholic Church made an agreement with Hitler. The church supported the worst excesses and racist behavior of the British Empire. We should be disappointed because that's why Daniel 11 is here, to say to us, don't do bad deals with strong people. Don't be taken in. No matter how much strength this person who worshiped themselves gets, we should not be taken in by them. The search for power is a virus that infects the whole world, and it, that is what is making the world dark. And the only vaccine for that is the most powerful God becoming a weak, vulnerable human being in order to look after those crushed by human power. And if you believe that, do not do a deal with a powerful leader to get honor for yourself. No, you do a Daniel, quietly determined, always working to bring blessing and goodness and light to the worst places and speaking up for what's right when you get the opportunity. Why? Because you're waiting. You know there's a different day coming and you're banking on that. You're the resistance waiting for the liberating army. That all sounds very sort of meta, big scale, political. But of course, day by day, we all live in worlds like this. Most workplaces, many families, lots of neighborhoods or social groups are basically about people jockeying about to get themselves into position. And once someone in the powerful position, the real temptation is to abandon what you think is right so they will give you honor and respect you, to buy into their power game. And Christians who are waiting for Jesus to return don't say, how can I get in with the powerful person? That would be the way to behave if there is only darkness. The Christian says, the light's coming. The wise thing to do is to live for the real kingdom. Advent is when we consider our role as people always waiting. We learn how to wait from Daniel. And how do we wait? Stare into the void. See how bad a world is without Jesus. Don't fold for people who will just be footnotes of history in the end. And don't think might is right. Don't do deals with mighty people to get honor for yourself. When we find that place, the place of tension, really knowing the evil of the world, but really knowing that hope is coming, that's when we can live our resistance to what is wrong in the world. Let's pray. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will give us Daniel's wisdom, which knows that you are the real God, that without you there is no hope in the world, and that you are on the way back to put things right. Help us live there so that we bring blessing to the people around us and so that we um, speak up for what's right. We pray your spirit will do that for us in Jesus' name. Amen.